Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, my guest is Glenn Robertson, MD at Pure Channels, the channel marketing agency since 2005. Glenn, welcome. Welcome, Marcus. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Would you mind giving one or two minute quick summary of your journey to get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So Pure Channels was started by our founder and previous owner in 2005 to establish ourselves as the go-to agency, marketing agency in B2B for anything channel. Since 2005, we have been that B2B marketing agency that has 100% focus on channel. We don't do direct. I don't want to do direct. don't want to dilute our expertise and, and what we do. There are plenty of B2B marketing agencies out there that can service people for the direct space. We focus on the two, through, and with the channel. Vendors, DISTIs, partners in the IT and tech space. Excellent. Okay, Glenn, I know that MDF is a subject close to your heart. Talk to me about what's wrong with MDF. Let's start with that. Any of you who are listening, it stands for Marketing Development Funds. This is something that, as you rightly say, is close to my heart at the moment. I'm shouting quite a lot about it. I've just written a paper on it. Essentially, MDF is a channel staple, right? It's years old. We've been doing it for a long time. The difficulty is, I think we've got a massive problem with it, and that is we can put MDF into three buckets, used sensibly, used and wasted, and not even applied for because partners maybe don't know about it. But essentially, the idea is that vendors provide funding, either in part or in full, to partners to do marketing to the end customer, okay? The idea is that vendors want partners to do their marketing. That's our channel model, right? That's the channel model we know and love. Hang on, hang on. Vendors want their partners to do their marketing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Strange, right? Partners are in business for their reasons, not for the vendor's reasons. The vendor is just one of many providers of products or solutions. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah, it is a bit crazy, right? When you say it like that, that's entirely the problem. Partners exist for themselves. Partners exist to make money for themselves to either enjoy life, make a bit more money if they can, or sell to a bigger partner. They're the bare bones of it. Some might argue that I'm being a little bit, you know, I'm doing them a disservice or that I'm maybe being a bit unfair, but let's have a reality check. Partners do not exist for the benefit of the vendors, right? It's the other way around. Vendor Um, works for the partner. Yeah, right. And that's how it should be because when partners are doing marketing or not, as the case may be, some partners employ marketing people. Some people have really good marketing people. But actually, guess what? They're employing marketing people to do marketing for them. They're not employing people, for the most part, to do marketing for the vendor. Okay, because as you rightly say, a partner might have five, 10, 15, hundreds of vendors that they offer in their portfolio. But actually, the exposure, the awareness, the brand, the identity, the general marketing activity that a partner will do should and is almost always done on their terms. Whereas what the vendors want is they want the partners to do their marketing for them. Okay. And, and we provide out, you know, campaigns in a box, marketing toolkits, download this, paper here, collateral that, co-brandable environments that are potentially automated sometimes, some work, some don't. But actually the vendors need to wise up a bit. Okay. And the vendors need to help 
the partners to do this. Now, the issue that we have and the issue that we're seeing more and more and more and more is that MDF, which is, as you say, as you rightly say, Marcus, marketing development funding. Now, we can also call that joint funding or we can call it co-op. We can call it any other things. But at the moment, anything that we call it is directed to marketing. We know for the past 15 years, lots of work with lots of vendors and lots of partners, including global, local, and regional surveys, that partners exist for one of few things. Most of them all relate back to money and sales. And they also tell us that what are the things that they want most from vendors? They want sales leads, they want sales support, and they want to do business with a vendor that makes it as easy and as simple as possible. Nowhere in those top three do we mention the word marketing. And yet vendors continue to push marketing down the throats of the partners. So what I'm suggesting and what we're talking about now, and we're seeing some great results from it, we simply change the language, all right? Stop talking to partners about something that they don't want to do, don't have the resource, don't have the expertise or the knowledge to do. Start talking to them a language that they understand. Fund business development. Fund lead gen. Okay, demand gen. Okay, these are the types of things that partners know and understand and live their lives for. They don't live their lives for doing vendor marketing. So if we simply change some language and talk about lead gen funding, or we talk about what we're currently calling it BDF instead of MDF, we're calling it business development funding, of which marketing is a piece and it plays a part certainly, but it's not led with language that typically partners don't like, don't enjoy, and don't understand. Okay, so let me summarize. Essentially, Mm. there's a conflict. There's what vendors think MDF is for and what they think they're trying to achieve with it. And then there's what the partners think MDF is for and what they expect the partners to be doing. And those two lists are wildly different and effectively in conflict, which mirrors exactly what we found on the sales front, which Mm. is that... First of all, partners are in business for their reasons, not your reasons. And if you are just one of many interruptions to their day, what they're thinking is how quickly can we get rid of you, get you out of the office, get you off the phone? Because they're interested in their own reasons for being in business, then what they're really looking for is help and support to find more customers, build the pipeline, close more business so that they can sell their services. And if your product happens to be a solution that one of their customers will buy, then fine and dandy. But I think vendors are really deluding themselves at the moment because the IT stack has become so complex. There's six, 12, 20 different products in the end user's IT stack. And so you're just one of many. It's the partner that has the relationship. So why on God's earth are they not realizing that what they should be doing is helping the partners get their needs met, helping them achieve their goals and objectives, working with them actually in partnership instead of as a competing third-party sales resource that's almost in direct competition with their direct sales force, largely wastes a huge amount of money because certainly our research is indicating that between 2 and 4% of the partners produce between 40 and 60% of the profitable revenue. So why are they spreading all this money so widely on people who aren't producing, largely because they've been poorly recruited, failed to be onboarded properly, 
haven't been trained how to sell, and the channel managers have no idea what it is that drives their partners' businesses. They're not spending time in their businesses, helping them to get better, helping them to sell more, training them as if they are their own. And they're trying to push their single message of buy my widget rather than how do we help you co-develop really powerful solutions that serve your end customer and in turn drive service revenue so that you make money through the ecosystem that we and other vendors all occupy. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I wrote a piece a little while ago as well about are you considering your partners an extension of your sales force, right? So let's put aside your expertise, dare I say, Marcus, at the moment, and the argument we'll have around how good a salesperson exists within partners. And let's take a top-level summary. In terms of the idea or the theory behind recruiting a direct salesperson, I have this conversation quite a lot. There's a process that you go through. You go through creating the job spec, putting it out, receiving applications and CVs. You then go through the process of selection, interview stage one, two, three, four, et cetera. You have process of selection. You make your selection. You welcome them in. You onboard them. You spend time training them, welcome them into the company, understanding culture, products, people, and all of those things, right? Now, if we're considering partners to be an extension, which they absolutely are, to our sales force, why are we not giving them the same experience, which I think is what you've just described? You know, why aren't yeah. we spending genuinely good time researching who's going to be the best and most likely successful partner to have an impact on our business? Who are they going to be and how do we how do we get them in? How then do we welcome them? How then do we onboard them? How then do we affect the experience that we're giving them over and above our competitors that are going to be trying to woo them in the same or better ways? How long do we spend educating and enabling them in a way that is not just about our tech and our products, but in the way that we do stuff? So where is that culture expertise? Where is that training? Where is that education? Not just on tech, but on how we go to market, how we talk, what's our tone of voice, how we do marketing, how we do legion, where we've seen success in the past and how we'd like to share that with you so that you can enjoy doing a better job in brackets for us. Okay? Yeah. We don't transfer them to experiences, which actually is a ludicrous disconnect because you're saying that the place that brings you less money, you are spending more time, effort, and resource on. And that's your direct side. The place that brings you the most money, you are naively letting them do it almost as mavericks and on their own because actually you think, again, naively and somewhat ignorantly, that because they've done it before, they'll probably be good at it. And what we see is the level of attrition goes through the roof when you don't recruit, onboard, welcome, train, and enable partners properly. In the first 90 days, if you haven't helped your partner generate the second sale, chances yeah. are they're going to go dark on you. And yeah. uh, when and you think and about the cost, absolutely. But when you think about the cost of recruitment, you might be spending thousands or tens of thousands to recruit partners. But a lot of these costs are hidden, so they yeah. don't appear directly on the balance sheet. So they're kind of ignored and washed over. But yeah. when you think about the amount of money wasted just at that front end, that's a travesty. Yeah. But then you think right. about all the business that's been left on the table throughout the lifetime of that partnership relationship 
that could or should have existed. You're talking yes. hundreds of millions, billions even. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So if you don't mind, I can give you a very, very specific example with a global tech vendor client that we've been, uh, we had a six or seven year relationship with. We were responsible for all of their recruitment across EMEA and recruited thousands of partners for them. This was a numbers game. This was, you know, it started seven odd years ago. This was a numbers game. We got them in, we got the partners. And we had a little bit of foresight and kind of thought, well, actually, we don't want them to be affected by the scenario you've just described. We actually want them to stay and we want to get them beyond transaction number one and indeed transaction number two. So we created an incentive environment for new partners that once onboarded and welcomed and that we got them revenue ready. We incentivized them not only for the first transaction or the second, but up to the third. Okay, great. We've got partners in. They're happy. They're hungry. They're selling and we're tracking it. Cool. Now. A few years went by and this was all going great. A couple of people in the uh, vendor client changed hands, a few new ideas and a few restrictions, but we carried on with it. Now, it got to a point where I think globally they were looking at partner attrition and they and, and non-transacting partners, so not the ones that we talked about previously, but partners that quite simply were part of the program but hadn't spent anything within the last 6 or 12 or 18 months. So what we did was we had a look at why that could be the case. And it falls in line with exactly what we're saying here. They got past the first bit. They did the welcome. They did the onboarding. And actually, they got to transaction. But then the experience stopped. Now, our remit was to get them there. The you know Naturally, you would expect, as we would expect, the client, the vendor, would then pick that up in their CAM or their BDM or their PAM to run that from an ongoing natural point of view. What we found was that out of a number over 10,000 partners that we'd recruited across that time, there were around 40% of them that hadn't transacted within this last 18 months period of time. Rather than do some kind of fancy, trendy, funky, fluffed up campaign across a multitude of different platforms and all the rest of it, our insight and our knowledge and expertise told us that we needed to do a little bit of digging as to what those reasons were. So we did. And it turns out, that the competitors of the vendor that we were working for happened to be wooing the partners away. They were doing incentives at a similar time to these guys had stopped transacting. So this is about ongoing engagement and ongoing nurturing of partners in order to keep them transacting. So what did we do? We said, rather than go all fancy on it, why don't we just remind these guys that they're still part of this program, they still get these benefits, and they still could be earning a match. Actually, we know because the market tells us a much better margin than who they've been wooed away to. So we did a really, really simple campaign, got them back, and within three weeks of a four-week campaign, back to the existing data of partners that weren't transacting, over half of them came back straight away and accounted for two or three million euros in new money now and what investment for investment of sort of like 12 or 15 grand it was <laughs> i mean the, the return on investment for this the percentage if we want to get into percentages was ridiculous and yes of course we're very happy with that that shows that our insight our knowledge our expertise in this space works but what it also does is it tells us something quite controversial that partners are a bit fickle right and they're not particularly loyal what they'll do is they'll look for the best deal at the time and go with it, all right? So that showed us that our vendor was a victim of that. 
And it also showed us that as soon as we started to woo them back, they came because the margin was good, the incentive was good, and the particular offer at the time that we gave them was better than what they'd been wooed away to. My pal Ron Vopreis coined a phrase, which is attention is a currency. Where your client mm. had gone wrong was they stopped paying attention. And partnerships are like marriages. If you stop paying attention, yeah, when you first start yep. wooing someone, you dress, you wash, you smell nice, you look nice, you brush your hair, wow. you brush your teeth, yeah, you're all in. Uh, you don't fart <laughs> in public, all that kind of stuff. And then over time, the contempt starts to build. You yeah. have to pay attention. And if you've got partners and you're not wooing them constantly, if you don't make yeah. them feel like you still love them, they will go somewhere else. And this then exactly. raises the obvious question, which is, why are vendors not spending more time marketing to their partners who are, in fact, their best customers? It's a really good question. And it's, it's, it's literally a conversation I have nearly every day of every week with prospects and existing customers. This is about, so dare I do a little bit of direct self-promotion here, but we I have a kind of model. That we it's crap. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no problem. I haven't even sworn yet, right? So we have a model that we've developed over the last few years. And this is exactly about this topic that we're talking about at the moment. Okay. And we, for want of a better way of describing it, we call it the E model. Okay. Because it's a series of words that all happen to begin with E. And uh, in really blunt and simple terms, we've called it the E model. And it relates to partner experience, right? Because this is all about what type of experience are you giving your partner when they join over a period of time and in the long term. So what we do is we talk about five E's. The first three are really, really, really important. And that's about engagement, education, and enablement, okay? That essentially will deliver an ideal partner experience, okay? You have to keep them engaged. You have to engage them to to start with, and you have to keep them engaged over a period of time. You have to educate them, but don't just educate them on the tech. You have to educate them on everything else we talked about earlier, and you have have to to enable them. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's about sales. It's about models. It's about process. It's about success. It's about how to achieve. It's about marketing. It's about culture and tone of voice. It's all of those things. That's the full spectrum of education. It's not just about how cool is our product. Guess what? It's just about as cool as the other vendor that told us theirs was cool. And then we talk about enablement. Okay, so once you've engaged your partner and they're happy and they're keen and they're full and head over heels in love with you, you've educated them in all these different areas. If you don't then enable them with the right tools and the right things that they can take and either use themselves or change slightly so long as they're still in line with brand, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't enable them in the right way to then be able to take that message to market and start generating leads off it, you've lost them. Okay. So those three things are really, really important. You engage, you educate, and you enable. And then the two that come on the end there, we've got. Over time, if you stop, as we saw with the example earlier, if you stop doing that, they're going to go somewhere else. So what you have to do is you have to continually evaluate. How's this relationship going? What is the spend? How are we doing? Are we continually engaging you over a period of time, not just at the beginning? Are there any training or education requirements that we can provide you with in order to help you do your job better? By the way, the job that we're asking you to do for us, not the one that you feel compelled to do because you owe us a favor. And then are we enabling you in the right way to go to market? So that's the evaluation piece. And then the final, number 5E, is we talk about evolve, okay, and evolution. So 
if you're evaluating over a period of time, then you need to evolve if partner dictates or partner community dictates that you need to change stuff. Because if you're doing something that you were doing three years ago and it's not working, you need to change it, right? But you're only going to know whether or not you need to evolve if you're continually evaluating the situation. And if you're not evaluating it, a bit of self-promotion, if you don't mind, you know, we call it the 5E model. It's engage, educate, enable, evaluate, and evolve, and that will give you an optimal partner experience. I won't say the ultimate because there are things that can, or maximum, but the ultimate or the optimal partner experience comes from those five things. Well, interestingly enough, that mirrors exactly our Channel Sales Excellence program because it's about engaging the partners in the first place and then recruiting them and onboarding them for the right reasons. So before you put a ring on their finger, make sure that it's going to work out and have a good prenup in place to make sure that you know what's going to happen if you get divorced, who keeps the kids. Educate not about the product, although there is a little bit of product knowledge, but educate them Mm. and train them how to sell your stuff enable them with the right tools and the right resources, then evaluate using a partner-centric satisfaction tool where the partners determine how they will hold you as the vendor to account to make sure that you are delivering and serving them well and a quarterly value review process, which is mandated and non-negotiable to make sure that every quarter you are holding each other's feet to the fire and you have constructive conflict. Because I think one of the big mistakes people make is they don't rock the boat. And I think it's our job as the vendor working with our partners to have them rock the boat, to challenge us. And because we're working with multiple partners, we bring a diversity of thought. We bring these rebel ideas. Matthew Syed in his book, Rebel Ideas, talks about this beautifully, where 65% of all the major tech companies have been started by immigrants. Why? Because they come with a different perspective. They have to work harder in that first, second generation. And they have to prove themselves because they start out at a disadvantage. But what they also do is they bring a fresh perspective so they don't fall into the echo chamber and group thing. I think if you're running a channel, it is so important to encourage diversity of thought and encourage constructive conflict where you argue and fight so that you can come up with better solutions. And if you look at the evolution of humanity, human beings evolved big brains because we became hyper-social. And what happened was we started to develop ideas, which we then shared. The lone genius doesn't produce anywhere near as much as the average dilettante surrounded by lots of people sharing ideas, augmenting and iterating on top of uh, what happened before. And that piece around evolution is absolutely key. Mm. There's one of my favorite proverbs is, if you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. I see so many organizations, particularly in the large monolithic tech companies, where they pay lip service to evolution, but they're tied in with perpetual licensing models. They're tied in with selling direct. And as a result, their compensation schemes drive the wrong behavior. They see their partners as competitors. They get in the way of progress. They see everything that they have as needing to be protected instead of evolving. And I see it in my own business. You know, it's very easy for us to believe that we are telling the one truth. 
but we're not. What we have yeah. is a very good system. But unless we feed off all that variety that's out there, unless we adapt to the current environment, I think we're toast, which is why I got involved in the channel, because the, my, my vision is that 90% of all technology will be sold through the channel over the next five, 10 years. You know, it's already up to about 70% in most cases. Let's talk about quality versus quantity, because I see an awful lot of shit out there. The 2 to 4% generating 40 to 60% of the profitable revenue, and 96 to 98% of your marketing development fund, 96 to 98% of your channel manager's time wasted on partners who are not going to produce. They're never going to produce. What they wanted was to have a solution for one particular proposition to take to a client. And then they've signed up as a partner along with the other 55 that signed up at the last exhibition you were at. And they're just sucking money out of you. Why is it that there is still this ludicrous idea to go for a land grab rather than build a special forces unit? You talk about then humanity and, and evolution, right? We are all human beings. And it is about perception. It is about behavior. And we're only products of what we've been through in the past, right? So if previously we've seen that numbers work, and by doing that land grab that we did in a previous life or in a previous employment, a previous role, previous vendor, then we're going to favor it, right? Sometimes we're not we're not great at change. We know that. The, the channel is pretty horrendous at change, if, I, if, if, if I'm allowed to say that, you know, because it's, it's an old school. And um, there are lots of things that have been done very well in the past. We are playing catch-up. There's no two ways about it. The channel does play catch-up because there's so many moving parts to try and manage. Now, Best practice. Best practice is I don't think there's always one right answer that is a kind of one size fits all. And which is why we I talked earlier about the fact that we have vendors that still want to go after the numbers, but that's for a particular reason. Whereas we have other vendor clients that want to, you know, maybe they've come through the numbers, maybe they've done that, maybe they've realized that change is good and actually they've done the numbers thing and now they're looking at very particular type of partner that they need you know i'm seeing quite a lot where there's an emergence of, of of new if you like new wave msps that are really absolutely looking to expand through niche and I, in fact i spoke to one yesterday that was only going to be concerned with one vendor and this guy is successful entrepreneur he's built and sold msps in the past and his preferred model for this relatively early stage venture is to expand through niche and he's going to absolutely concentrate on one vendor for x one vendor for y and one vendor for z and and in that case when you're a vendor you need to be aware of those trends you need to be aware of those market plays these new market plays where partners are existing again for their reasons not for your reasons so you need to respond to what they're saying and not what you're wanting i'm struggling still there are only so many times that you can beat your head against the wall and yeah. wonder why your head is bleeding and, you know, bef before you have to stop blaming the wall for it. I think there's a legacy here because direct sales is the golden child. It's where yeah. most of the leadership comes from. And without putting too fine a point on it, I think Channel is the gingerhead, bastard, ugly stepdaughter of direct yeah. sales. And it's where failed direct salespeople have been sent to die and you know live out the rest of their career and i think that's a fundamental miscalculation because 
channel sales, without question, is the single hardest job there is in the sales profession. Your currency, a trust and influence. A channel manager is not like a sales manager. They're more like a general manager. They need to have a good business acumen. They need to be savvy. They need to be great coaches. They need to be able to plan and manage. They need to be very self-aware. They need to be able to read the situation. They have to be great leaders. They have to be good at helping people establish clear goals. They have to have a massive tolerance for stress. They need to be able to take action, juggle, manage lots of spinning plates. You need to be careful because you're teeing me up to talk about another recent blog that I wrote, which was entitled So. You think channel is the easy alternative? And it was a... Oh, bloody hell, no chance. It's it's so tough to do well. (laughs) Now, to do badly, that's a piece of piss. Any Egypt can do that. Yeah, right. You phone lots of people out and say, what have you got for me this month? And they say nothing. And you say, great, I'll call you next month. And then you act as an overpaid administrator, you know, moving purchase orders around because orders happen in spite of anything that you've done. Channel Chiefs, on the other hand, those guys are closer to a chief executive than they are to a VP of sales. So I have a firm belief that the next route to CEO will be one of two places. It will be the head of data analytics, because they're the people who've got the breadth and depth of insight, and they can actually use the information, and it's going to be the channel chief. But there's a lot of entrenched resistance, because all the money, um, the investment of time, training, resource, the best hires – go into direct mm. sales. And I think that's a huge mistake. I totally agree. I mean, I've been on that wagon. I've been on it with you. I've been on it with, with Jay and various other commentators in terms of, you know, uh, Ollie, our, our, our previous founder, who I know mentioned it also on um, on your podcast previously. The emergence of the channel chief has to be number one priority for many vendors that aren't yet still, shockingly, getting it. There needs to be more channel chief officers or VPs of these people sitting on the very highest boards in the boardroom that are actually putting forward a very, very, very good, relevant, real, current and future case for the absolute importance of the channel being recognized, understood and accepted as a key player in any business development and growth and expansion going forward. These absolutely fundamental realities, fundamental need of almost all, I'd say, you know, there are exceptions, but almost all of the vendors that we come across still put in the channel in the corner and showcasing the direct out on the stage in the spotlight. Yeah, it's crazy. So tell me about this other blog then. No, it's literally what you're just talking about. And by the way, here's a question. So you think the channel is an easy alternative? We wrote basically a blog around the things that you've just talked, you know, working as a CAM, a PAM, a BDM or a BPM or whatever is not just about taking orders. It's far more in depth than that. There's loads of things that you have to consider. It's not and should never be considered the graveyard of a sales as a failed direct salesperson. It's far more in depth. It's far more difficult. And actually to do it well, as you just described, there's some complexity. There's so many moving parts. There's so many things that you have to do. It's not just about lead gen. It's not just about taking orders. It's not about just about one or two or three things. It's about 10. It's about 20 different things. And so to be a good one, you have to be that kind of more 
general manager, you have to know about business. You have to know about revenues. You have to know about forecasting and P&L and all of those things and how, not only that, but how to communicate to have genuine impact on the number of partners that you're managing. And it's quite honestly a minefield. We, we talk to so many people about how do we get more from our PAMs or how can we how can we get our CAMs to bring more in? There's loads of questions there. And because the other thing that, that happens is if they're not appreciated, if they're not supported, if they're not understood and accepted, then the people in these roles make those phone calls that you just that you just talked about. Hi, not spoke to you for a few weeks. What have you got for me? And then the partner goes, Well, actually, not very much. And they go, Okay, great, talk to you next month. And then they go, put the phone down, they go, oh, bloody so-and-so partner again. They're absolutely rubbish. They never give me anything. Well, guess what? You never give them anything, right? Absolutely. You have to look in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. If your partners aren't working, it's your fault. You either have treated them (laughs) badly, you failed to onboard them, you haven't trained them, you're not coaching them, and you're not supporting them in achieving their objectives because they are in business for their reasons, not yours. And they do not give a damn about you your company, or your product. So wake up. And exactly. And this leads us on to one thing I forgot to mention earlier. You know, the importance, the absolute importance, and you mentioned it, I know, the absolute importance of partner surveys, okay? The number of vendors we speak to and who don't have an answer to the question, when was the last time you asked your partners what they wanted? And I don't mean just phoning them up and saying, is there anything I can do to help you? But actually getting into some level of depth around what is it that you can be better doing for your partners, not just your one or two favorites, not just your managed partners, but what is it that you can do better for your whole community of partners? That can be run as a very, very simple, you know, survey monkey type survey, or you can handpick 10 or 20 or 30 of the ones that you believe not only will say good things about you, but that will say bad and controversial and things about you that maybe you might not want to hear because the best surveys come from the people that will tell the truth about everything, not just the things that you want to hear. And off the back of that, you can do a whole load of work to improve your channel, to improve your partner relationships, and ultimately push it all the way back to improving overall partner experience, which will have a massively positive impact on the overall results that you get from them. And make sure you go back to the respondents and tell them what you've done about their suggestions. This is a huge mistake I see happen all the time. People do surveys, and then they don't tell the people who responded what they've done about it, which means that they become apathetic very quickly. Yeah. Over the years, we've developed a number of different campaigns, incentives, and particularly partner programs, and also partner portals and various different platforms. Now, one of the key things that we always hear, or we hear hear very, very regularly, is we're going to do this, 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 and this, and we're going to do, we're going to give our partners this, 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 and this. And I go, great, that's lovely. And it sounds really, 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 really great. Is that what your partners want? And I get dead faith. (laughs) <laughs> and I get, well, probably they're bound to like it because it's great. And it's what, it's what Dell are doing. It's what IBM are doing. It's what these are, these are, these, oh, are, these, wow. are, these are. Okay, that's cool, right? And it might have been cool five years ago when they first did it. But is it what your partners want? I well, we don't know. Well, haven't you asked them? Well, how do you know what to give them if you don't know what they want? 
Oh, right, okay. So what do you suggest? Why don't we do a partner survey? It can be done very, very quickly. won't take much time. certainly doesn't cost very much money, and it will give you some decent level of insight. If you want more insight, we can do some interviews or some telephone conversations, et cetera, et cetera. But please don't do anything without asking your partners what they actually want from you. There's a simple rule. No mind reading, ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm. none of them are Darren Brown, and even if they were, they wouldn't be very good at it. Thank you. This has been really insightful. A couple of questions to round off on. What are you reading, listening to, watching that's influencing you either today or has had a big influence on your business career? I genuinely tend to stay up to date with the usual publications, CRN, Channel Pro, Channel Insights, Channel Partner Insights, um, IT Pro, Channel Asia. There's a few of them out there, all of which you can you know, subscribe to and get feeds and stuff, which are genuinely really interesting. You do have to be careful, obviously, not to fill your mailbox up with just daily and sometimes, you know, several times a day. But there are some really good publications out there, which, of course, I'm always happy to share if people want to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. You know, watching is an interesting one because there's so much video content out there. I don't actually at the moment have anything that I follow religiously other than stuff on Sky and Amazon and Netflix, dare I say. But, you know, you have to have some downtime, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, if we're going that far, I'd talk about, you know, maybe Ray Donovan or Billions, quite enjoyed that, and a couple of other bits and pieces. If you haven't watched uh, Silicon Valley, then definitely that's worth a watch. It is, yeah. Yeah, cool. Listening. Well, Marcus, of course, you know, I'm a regular listener to your <laughs> podcast. You know that. I thoroughly enjoy it. In fact, there's another chap who does an MSP-based podcast, which is quite useful. I listen to him. Yeah. That cool? I, I, you know what? The guy's called Paul Green, and he is called MSP Marketing. I think what's, what's really important is, you know, and please don't spit at me or groan too loudly, but there are two other things that I like to listen to. I love listening to everybody in my office. The guys here, what they do every single day with clients, with prospects, and, you know, the creative guys when we're throwing around ideas on the whiteboard, this is where a lot of the inspiration comes from because, you know, I know some stuff, but I don't know all of it, you know, and I'm very, very happy to admit that. The guys here are what makes this place as good as it is, okay? I'm only one part in it, and, and listening to some of the stuff that these guys come out with every day is fascinating. It's brilliant. It's sometimes hilarious. I think maybe a little piece of advice is don't always go external to try and look for somebody better, cleverer, more intelligent, or more experienced than yourself. A lot can be gained from exactly where you are in your own environment. That said, my second, the, the, the second thing that I'm going to say, again, please don't groan or, or, or think it's too cliche, but it absolutely has to be about listening to the needs and wants of key people that are in your business, but also key people that contribute to your business. And by that, it's clearly prospects, clients, existing and past. Okay. Yeah. And it, that genuinely is so important. And I do spend a lot of time having conversations and, and I really do genuinely enjoy listening to all of those people. I couldn't agree more. I don't know why you'd think I'd grown it, but I, I firmly believe <laughs> that prospects are your best teachers. And <clears throat> surround yourself with people from a diverse range of backgrounds, income brackets, demographics, commercial yeah. experience. I've worked in 500 different segments of uh, the market. And I can yeah. honestly say that I've been able to apply lessons learned from my matchmaking client who basically matched up very bright, articulate, capable Japanese women with time-poor, wealthy men in the city, surgeons, 
doctors, all that kind of stuff, and being able yeah. to apply the lessons from that in headhunting businesses and being able Brilliant. to apply lessons from there uh, to selling defense or legal services. So, no, uh, yeah. absolutely. I think that's brilliant. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you had a golden ticket and you could go back and advise the idiot 23-year-old Glenn, what one yeah. bit of advice would you give him to prevent a, a lifetime of idiocy and self-sabotage? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good one. One piece, one piece. Follow your gut. We are consumed, I think, by looking for the next best piece of advice, the next best expert, the next best successful person, the next best person who's achieved something that we're consumed by that. And we've got so much access to it now through social media um, and other outlets. I actually, as it happens, when I was 23, I did start my first business and it went very, very well, very, very quickly. And I thought it was easy. And then somebody came along and said, oh, well, you're obviously very good at this. Why don't you do this? And I knew, I genuinely knew that it wasn't the right idea. But because I perceived that they were more experienced, more successful, better, et cetera, et cetera, than, than me at the time, I took their advice. And um, it turns out it was completely the wrong thing to do. And my gut was right all the time. Had we traveled down that road, it, you know, maybe we wouldn't be talking today, Marcus. I don't know. But yeah, I, think, I think it's really important. Is trust your no, gut. No problem. Trust your gut, even if it's wrong. Learn to trust your gut and calibrate it. And after a while, it becomes a decision-making muscle. So, no, fantastic advice. Okay, one other final question before we wrap up then. What are you struggling with? What's keeping you awake at night that you're pondering and you just can't quite get to grips with? Let me answer part of that question first, and then I'll get on to the real answer. I'm going to touch a bit of wood and I'm not going to preempt anything bad happening, but I genuinely <laughs> sleep very, very well. I genuinely sleep very well. Um, it's a very rare occasion where I struggle, struggle to get to sleep at night. And maybe that's because I'm content and happy in what I'm doing. I don't know. I have a you know, good family life and wonderful children and, uh, and, a, and a really nice business that I enjoy getting up for every morning. So, so, so that side of it, I, I don't have things that keep me up at, one, at night. I think at the moment, it's getting in front of enough people to share this relatively animated view I have on the channel and hoping that enough people will A, listen and B, agree in order to help us grow and expand pure channels. Because, of course, I'm going to say this, I'm biased, but I genuinely believe that we've got a wonderful proposition here. But I just need to get out and talk to more people and tell more people about what we've got here could help to impact what they're doing. Okay, let me ask you a slightly coachy question. Are you dedicating time specifically every day to prospecting? No, is the easy answer. Is a one-word, single, easy answer. No, I'm not. Okay, so what what do you think might be the problem? Me? For those of you struggling with this same problem, if you don't do prospecting every day, i.e. a little and often, and you're not prospecting for next year, five years down the road, then yeah. chances are you're going to suffer from feast and famine or you're going to get tied up in projects and you stop prospecting because you treat it as if it can be moved. It is the single most important function of anyone in any and every sales function, whether you are yeah. in inbound sales, outbound sales, whether you're in enterprise sales, direct sales or channel sales. Your job, number one, is to prospect every day. And that means the discipline of setting time aside for prospecting. So 
make sure if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, that seems a little bit obvious, well, damn well do it. Don't sit yeah. around and say, well, we don't have enough pipeline or we need more. You actually have to get out there and do it because you're not going to trip over the valley of lost prospects. And no matter how hard you stare at the phone and aggressively pray it will ring, it won't. You have to do something. And it doesn't necessarily mean cold calling. It can mean content. Yeah. It can mean speaking in public. It can mean referrals, referral partnerships. It can be email. It can be direct marketing. It can be any number of different things. But make sure you've got at least four new business development tools that you're implementing in tandem. It can be handwritten notes. It can be going through your first level contacts on LinkedIn and simply reaching out and saying, Glenn, uh, nothing urgent, tripped, uh, spotted your profile and thought we haven't spoken in a while. Give me a ring if you fancy a chat. If they're in your target yeah. market and you do 10 of those a day, chances are after 100, one or two are going to be getting in touch with you. And that's how you open up a warm conversation. You stop making the mistake of thinking that prospecting has to be a chore. It's not. If you do yeah. it right, it works and it's easy. And I think, Marcus, you know, that's a, a, a great blunt way of putting it. And um, I, I completely appreciate it. I guess if I, if I, if I may tick this off as, as at least one activity of prospecting for today, maybe. And uh, okay. if any of your listeners have enjoyed what <laughs> if any of your listeners have enjoyed anything that I've said today, I'd genuinely be delighted to have a conversation with them at any time. How do they get hold of you? In a number of different ways. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Glenn Robertson, Glenn with two N's. Search on the web for Pure Channels. We come up at purechannels.co.uk. Or give me a call or WhatsApp 078-54-996-313. Brilliant. Glenn, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the chat. Pleasure. Loved it, Marcus. Thanks so much. Have a good one. My pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Glenn, then get in touch with him, with me. If you've got questions, comments, please pass them along. And if you think you'd be a good guest for the podcast, and you're open to coming up with something that's a little bit gnarly. The model for the podcast is the two old geezers from the Muppets, Statler and Waldorf. Come along. Let's see if we'll make a good pairing and we can come up with a conversation that'll be interesting to the listeners. And if there's someone specific that you would like to, for me to interview, then please pass on their details or make an introduction. And if you'd like to pop into one of my masterclasses, either on direct sales or channel, then ping me a line on 07515-937-221 or email me at mkauke at sandler.com. Thanks a lot. Happy selling.